Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tian Tian. Now, today we're going to talk about Hong Kong's biggest cosmetics chain. Now, make a guess the chain is known for its pink and white shop front. Does Sasa ring a bell? Well, founded in 1978, Hong Kong listed Sasa first launched in Singapore in 1997 and grew over the years to become the go to place for makeup and personal care products in the early 2000s. Now, while it was positioned as a discount retailer, the firm's diversified portfolio extends to over 9,000 products from over 600 international brands of skincare. Fragrance, makeup, hair care, and more. Now, a lot has changed in recent years with the entry of retailers like Sephora and the boom in e commerce. And the firm closed all 22 shops some three years ago. But that's just the start of a new chapter for Sasa's journey here in Singapore because the company is making a comeback with its new outlet at Jurong Point Shopping Centre today. Now, the question is why is Sasa re entering Singapore right now? What Opportunities does it see in Singapore and what will it do differently to thrive in the Lion City? Well, lots of questions. And for the answers, I've got with me in studio Danny Ho, Executive Director and Chief Financial Officer at Sasa International. Danny, welcome. Great to have you. Thanks for having me, Tintin. I'm really happy to be here. Flew in from Hong Kong just recently. Yeah, I arrived last night. So um, it's been a while since I've been in Singapore. So, a really lovely city and um, starting to enjoy it. Wow. Okay, and let's talk a little bit more about Sasa. Fairly excited about this. Sasa, as a retailer with a diversified portfolio extending to over 9,000 products from more than 600 international brands. But let's hear from you. How would you define Sasa's value proposition and business model? Thank you for that. I mean, I don't think I could have given us a better intro than what you just did. That was fantastic. Um, we position ourselves as the place to go to make yourselves beautiful. So mm. our purpose is to make life beautiful. Wow. Um, and that, that's what we're all about. I think um, you correctly pointed out that we grew out as a retailer, mm. uh, a multi-brand retailer at, at that. Uh, and we kind of been evolving from that position um, over the years particularly during the, the last three, four years interrupted by COVID. So what you'll find now is that um, we probably put a lot more emphasis around exclusive products, exclusive brands and niche brands. Mm. Um, so that's one of the big focuses and one of the big reasons why our margin profile now mm. has improved significantly compared to pre-COVID. Mm. Um, so that's one of the big areas. The second big differentiator for us is that we have what I like to call professional mm. beauty consultants if that exists, but they're yeah. definitely beauty consultants, right? They're, they're way more than just salespeople. Um, they're there to help our customers resolve their issues or, or provide what they need to fulfill their aspirations. Mm -hmm. And because we're multi-brand, yeah. we're, we're essentially brand agnostic. So we're really there to help people select the right products for them. Um, and, and that is quite unique. So we invest heavily in, in that um, team of beauty consultants mm -hmm. in terms of the training and whatnot. So that, that's one of the big, big things for us as well. Mm. And since you talked about bringing in niche brands and improving margins, I do want to talk a lot about uh, positioning, Danny. I understand when Sasa first started, it was positioned as a discount retailer. Is this still the case right now, given uh, the closures we've seen by Sasa during the pandemic worldwide, number one? Number two, learnings from its exit from Singapore three years ago, which was pre-pandemic, I believe, announced then. And three, the changing competitive landscape. 
Yeah, so um, a lot of questions. <laughs> yes. maybe, we'll break, maybe we'll break them up one by one. Sure. I think um, we're quite proud of the fact that we, we made the closures that when we did. Um, I mm-hmm. think it was quite important at the time in, in order for the group to retain cash flow, focus on the right areas mm-hmm. so that we're here now and we can make a comeback. I think that's the, the first thing. I think the second thing is if you look at um, uh, the store closures we had, so let's, for example, look at Hong Kong, Macau, our core market. Mm-hmm. We closed around 40 stores. Um, almost a th- uh, almost a third of our stores we closed, and we have during the la- uh, this financial year open reopened five. And um, what you'll find is the productivity mm. of each of our stores now is a lot higher than before. Mm. Uh, in many ways, we're a lot more focused on the unit economics and the profitability of individual stores, uh, because obviously the the world is the world is a completely different place, right? Mm. Uh, and and for us to be able to um, um, have good margins grow and have good returns for our shareholders. We need to be doing the right things. So you'll you'll see that we are a lot more um, focused on unit economics, cash flow, and how we can make individual stores profitable. Um, so that's how we look at it. And I, you will see also that um, um, in terms of our sales growth versus mm. um, our store closures, uh, the same store sales growth is 60% mm. plus this financial year. Wow. So that's, that we're really proud of that, right? Mm. And that, that comes with a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of focus on productivity in mm. store mm. Uh, and where we focus. And the second thing you mentioned also is around um, our 9,000 SKUs and 600 brands. I don't know many retailers out there, um, not mm. not in F&B, that can yeah. provide that kind of a choice. Mm. But if you think about it, behind that is a lot of um, a lot of supply chain excellence that can help us achieve that kind of um, figures. But mm. we also look at that and think, ah, do we need 9,000 SKUs? Um, mm. and, and so when we look at individual stores and the store size, what kind of a store size is more profitable mm. for us? Um, how can we still deliver the same to customers? So we're also a lot more on, on uh, e-commerce now than we, we were before. Mm. One of the big things that's been quite uh, popular for us is buying online pickup in store in Hong Kong. Mm. That's been quite a, a, a biggie for us. And, and so things like that, we're, we're kind of evolving from the traditional mm. retailer into a lot more omni-channel, into a mm. lot more focus on, on margins. Now, the second thing you asked me about was on, on gross margins and, and brands. Um, are we focused on niche brands? If you look at our exclusive brand mm. uh, portfolio, it's now eked up to around 35% of our, our sales mix. Mm. And that's contributed us for for us from growing our gross margin this year from right. 37% to 41%. Mm. So it's it's quite a, a significant um, mm. uh, step for percentage points. And we think there's still mm. uh, a lot room, a lot more room for us to grow that as, as, uh, as we focus on those brands and we bring more exclusive brands and we grow those brands. Sansa back then, as we know here in Singapore, uh, they open up in heartland malls. They are more of a discount retailer in that sense when pricing is concerned. Looking at the focus on margins right now and the consolidation and the SKUs, perhaps, are you moving up market? Yeah, I, I think um, I, I wouldn't um, classify as, as, as a discount retailer. I wouldn't classify as whether we're moving up market or not. I think what we do is we provide a lot of price points. Um, we, our range of products cross a lot of um, different tiers in terms of consumers. Uh, our, for our return this time around in Singapore, there's a few big changes for us. But the first thing is that obviously our, in terms of home markets, as I just mentioned before, we're back on a growth trajectory. Uh, we're looking to grow outside of our core market of Hong Kong, Macau. Mm. And Southeast Asia is definitely one area where we need to grow. Okay, so we have a good presence in Malaysia. That it would be a natural step for us to move back into Singapore, where mm. we have, um, as you correctly said, we 
about 22 stores previously. So we have good knowledge about where it was more profitable for us before in terms of sales driven. Mm. Um, this time round, we're planning to open about five stores this financial year, mm. and then five into the next in in the next in each of the next two financial years. So all going to plan uh, that will that we will step up our, our, our presence here. In terms of the 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 stores the stores mm. that we're open the store we're open today at Jerome Point, mm. um, we will definitely be a lot more focused on 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 the niche brands. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll expect our niche brands in that store to contribute uh, a lot of the the revenue for that store. Mm. Um, it actually has been soft open for the last three or four yeah. days. I'm not sure if you had the chance to, to go there yet, but um, it's uh, the feedback's been quite good given it's mm. a it's a soft launch. Um, a lot of the a lot of noise on social media about um, some brands. I I'm surprised that you know locals still remember <laughs> and quite eager to get their hands on. So we're, we're we're really happy about bringing those brands back to Singapore. Mm. Um, the second thing I wanted to mention about um, uh, sustainable our sustainable presence in Singapore is that this time around it's it's a much more of a light asset model. Mm. Um, which means that we have our, our hub in Southeast Asia for management and therefore we will not need to set up a, a supply chain in, in Singapore. We will not need to set up a, a separate mm. office and therefore essentially we have the store and its performance and therefore we're quite mm. confident that it will, it will provide a return. Mm. Don't mind me asking this a very quick question here. Danny, when you look at locations, are we still looking at Heartlands then? Um, we're looking to cover the the, the footprint basically, um, okay. and and so we will yeah we'll basically be, you know, our stores will cover will cover the city, but eventually step by step. Um, but as I say, we're same same in Hong Kong. For every store we open, <laughs> we're very um, we look at the economics, we look at right. the traffic flow, we look at whether it's it's in it's in line with what we want to do, mm. um, and if it if it makes sense, we go ahead. Um, and the thing the other th- big thing is rental, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for us retailers, rent rent is always a big thing. Um, <laughs> But uh, what you'll see in Hong Kong um, is that our rents now, compared to pre-COVID, probably anywhere between 30 to 50% of what rent was. Mm. So um, while our turnover now is less than what it was, our store mm. portfolio is less than what it was, yeah. our profitability, our margins are, are, have improved. Mm. Um, so same, same. likewise in Singapore, rent is, um, you know, re- rent is quite high here as well, I would say. Um, but um, so we're, we're, quite ch- we're quite picky about where we we have a store. So, mm. you know, the store size can't be too small. Um, we don't want it to be too large either. Um, it has to be the right, right, right place. And there's mm. a lot of things going into that. But obviously, we're starting from scratch, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so um, we, we have actually signed up um, three leases already. Mm. Um, so the first one, Jerome Point, open, open today. There'll be two more before the end of the financial year. And hopefully, uh, we're, we're quite far in negotiations for two more. So mm. hopefully, we'll have five before the financial year. Wow. Okay. I know we have jumped the gun quite a bit, right? <laughs> Too excited to talk about Sasa here. But um, if I could take a step back, Danny, what is the current scale of operations for Sasa right now in terms of the different geographical markets? Um, how many outlets do you have at present and which is the most important geographical market for you? Sure. So we're currently physical outlets. We're 185. Mm. So um, 82 in uh, Hong Kong and Macau, um, 69 in Malaysia. Uh, 34 in mainland China and one as of today in Singapore. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay. In terms of the focus, uh, Hong Kong, Macau is definitely our, our core market. Uh-huh. Right? And um, and that has benefited from Chinese, mainland Chinese tourism coming from across the border. Mm. So that's been a big driver for us. Um, and apart from physical outlets, as I mentioned before, because of the, I would say, not say because of but but driven from the three or four years COVID we had, um, we've obviously been a lot more focused on online. Mm. Online, we, we sell into Southeast Asia, so mainly, again, Singapore, Malaysia, um, in Thailand and Philippines. 
And one of the reasons we're back in Singapore mm. uh, as the first place, obviously, is um, from our online sales. We yep. can see that um, there's a demand there. And also from our brand partners. Um, we've also been asked by our brand partners, oh, would you like to, you know, when are you going to expand out of Malaysia? <laughs> and mm. we'd love to deal with you. Because mm. if you look out, if you look out there, whilst you could, um, we could see competition in different areas, which is always great. I love competition. But mm. in terms of true beauty retailers, uh, then they're not, they're not that many. Right. Do you see Sephora as a disruptor then? Um, I wouldn't say they're a disruptor. I mean, they've been in the market for, for <laughs> I'm sure, a, yeah, yes, for a very long time. They've been there for a long time. So I think they're 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 a great company. Obviously, um, a lot of brands out there would would love to have another platform in order to to present their their their, mm. their brands and present their products. And we're that we're just that. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and I do want to talk about this very big. Um, question on top of my mind as well which is which are the reasons behind leaving Singapore in the first place and why it is coming back this time round right if we recall back in December 2019 Sasa announced that it will close all 22 stores because it failed to make a profit I believe the second reason was that the firm wanted to focus more on Hong Kong and mainland China seeing declining tourists from mainland China to Hong Kong as well so three years of pandemic we've seen the lockdowns in China um, why is Sasa re-entering Singapore? Does that have to do with what you saw in China in terms of retail spending over the past three years and the, the risks and uncertainties involved? Um, yeah, so I can happily address that question. I think it's um, not so linked together in many ways. I think mm. I just look at it from the point of view is that mm. now we'll look, it's a new, it's a different world now mm. of, of post-COVID. And we're looking at how we can grow as a company, how mm. we can grow, how we can also serve different customers better. As mm. I say, there's a lot of demand from customers around the world to, to you know, to see Salsa return, to see Salsa products, to see Salsa back on the high street. So we just look at it from that point of view. Now, in terms of our home market, mm. because as I said, our home market has returned to profitability since the end of last year already yeah. and we're also growing back in our home market so it is well under plan it is in you know we're back in growth mode so then it means that we have a bandwidth to look further afield mm. there's two areas we're looking to grow um, when we look at geographical reason, uh, regions mm. one is mainland China itself yes. and the other is Southeast Asia yeah. and in Southeast Asia for Malaysia we're also looking for stores um, so we just opened one last month a new store um, but uh, as I say Singapore um, we're quite confident because we can manage it back out of our hub and mm. in terms of um, the light asset approach I mentioned before our overheads are, are, are quite minimal and mm. we're just looking at individual stores and their profitability and therefore we're quite confident that we will make a profit in Singapore pretty much immediately um, right. so that's that's one big major dif- uh, different mode of operating this time around versus three four years ago um, so that, that that's in terms of our Singapore in terms of tourism um, pre-covid 73% of our sales in Hong Kong and, mm. and Macau were from tourism, right? 73%. Wow. That's, a, that's a big number. Now, during COVID, that number was pretty much 0%. Mm. Okay. Now, after the, the boundaries have opened, it's now back up to just under 50%. Mm. Um, uh, it's, it's a gradual pace. And uh, in many ways, it's beneficial that way because it enables us to plan our investments in terms of store openings, in terms of recruitment, in terms of product availability. Um, so we've, been, we've managed to... Um, um, we might just serve that growth quite well. Um, and we expect that tourism to continue to, to grow gradually. Mm. Uh, it'll be, but we expect it to be much more of a gradual pace rather than an, an immediate bounce back to, to previous. Right. Speaking about sales bouncing back, I believe you told uh, Bloomberg 
Some time back, that sales may take until 2026 to return to pre-pandemic levels. Tourist contribution may decline to 60 from 70 percent. Does that still hold true for Sasa? Yeah, so uh, I, I remember that interview quite quite well. <laughs> I think um, the quote was taken a little bit out of context in, okay. in what I was saying. So I think the, the, the interview was just after, well, I was, I was asked the question just after the boundaries were open. Mm. Um, everyone was eager to understand, oh, when when will tourism return back to, to, to pre-COVID levels? And that is about China and around the world, or uh, just... specifically about China tourism into into okay. Hong Kong, because as I said, uh, China Chinese tourism into Hong Kong is a is a big factor yep. for Hong Kong retail. Um, so I think the point I was trying to make was that um, as a company. We're not relying or sitting back just to wait for the tourists to come back and mm. therefore help our business grow. We're actively looking at ways to, to improve our performance in, in different aspects. So yep. outside of China, also in Southeast Asia, mm. also from just same store growth from locals in Hong Kong. So that was all that was on my mind at the time. In terms of when tourism will return, I actually don't no longer compare it to pre-COVID because mm. really it's two different um, yes. periods of time. Yep. You know, It's not really the right benchmark to look at. But what we've seen so far is a just mentioned tourism mm. now is 50% um, uh, our mix mm. is 50% tourism already okay um, but you look at the the Chinese economy so it's a little bit soft yeah I think in October they announced for the first time in 13 months imports have started to rise again mm. um, but if you look at also the the Chinese uh, economy you will see that um, consumer mm. household savings yep. is increasing all the time at record highs so at least uh, so all I say is it's not it, they have the money to spend but they're not necessarily spending yeah. it right now with uncertainty about future, so it gives me confidence that um, it will. You know, we will see. We will see a, a, a return. But it'll be a much, much more gradual pace. And in the meantime, we'll look at different ways to access growth. Mm, okay, and uh, I do want to take a look at the Greater China region, right? Since we're on the topic, I believe Sasa said in March this year that it is taking a cautious approach post-pandemic. Plans to open five to seven stores across Hong Kong and Macau this year. Now the year is coming to a close. How far has that been realized? Yeah, so you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember she's saying five to seven, but so coincidentally, we've just opened five stores in Hong Kong. Yeah, right? okay. and and there will be two more before, hopefully, before the end of the financial year. Mm. Um, um, and we're looking to do the same in the, in the coming year. We also refurbished um, about 15 of our stores gro- uh, across the region, mm. uh, eight of those in Hong Kong. And so um, we're really up upgrading the image of our stores. Obviously, mm. we, we conserved cash during COVID, COVID years and we did not do invest in the in the storefront. But um, even the store we're opening today in Singapore will be mm. our latest designs. Wow. Um, so we'll be doing that con- consistently over the next, um, at least the next two years. Mm, okay. And another interesting point when we look at growth for Sasa, you mentioned Southeast Asia deepening a presence in Greater China, is also um, looking at this duty-free island of Hainan as part of your expansion plans. And I recall talking to some of the uh, players in the duty-free um, scene, and we were talking about Hainan as well. So what's brewing on this front, really? And how far is this a bright spot for you? Yeah, Hainan... Um is, is a lovely place. I don't know if you have the, had the pleasure of visiting there, but we used to do a lot of conferences out there. But Hainan is, is uh, over the last period of COVID years, I believe that's taken a lot of 
a lot of a uh, lot of the the retail that used to be in Hong Kong uh, into that space. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a duty free island, but at the moment it's not it's not completely open, mm. um, so not not accessible from that front. Um, from a Hong Kong Retail Management Association point of view, or from a, just a Hong Kong retail point of view, we've been exploring possibilities of how Hong Kong retail can access that island mm. um, uh, uh, to have a presence there. Mm. Uh, so far, um, it's still really in negotiation stages, mm. and and as as you're probably aware, the island will be open up in 2025 anyway, mm. right? So uh, we all we all look at that as, as as a possibility going forward. But mm. right now, it's it's um, in the short term. It's not mm. it's not a it's not a direct. Um, mm. uh, it doesn't have a direct impact on our business. Right. And before we let you go, Danny, I do want to uh, you know bring the conversation back to Southeast Asia to Singapore. What are some future plans for Sasa for the rest of this? This year and into the next that we might have missed earlier on in the conversation, what can we expect on this front? Yes, yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, uh, hopefully we'll have five stores in Singapore before mm-hmm. the end of our financial year, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll be as as long as that goes to plan, we'll be looking at another five in each of the next two years, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we're really looking forward to that. Uh, as I said, we also already sell into into Singapore Malaysia through Shopee and Lazada online platforms mm-hmm. so we were looking to do that more and we're also looking to see how we can um, play into the omni-channel piece as well uh, and then for Malaysia um, we're looking at store openings as well so hopefully we'll at least have one more store opening in Malaysia before the end of the financial year mm. I know I said uh, that was the last question but uh, you mentioned something that uh, and a question just popped up in my mind which is when you look at Singapore and Malaysia Singapore given the uh, relatively saturated retail market perhaps do you think that it will make more sense to open maybe five or ten outlets in singapore and then focus your your footprint on malaysia given that the market is relatively larger um we already have 69 stores in malaysia so we've been there for a a period of time so i think um we will just look at the financials of of that and how Mm. we see the market playing out Mm. um so as i said in terms of uh, the five stores opening Mm. so rather than jumping the gun i haven't have any just opened the one today so let, let's see what happens when the five are open and as mm. I say if things go to plan I think the market can can handle uh, 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 more more openings over the next over the next two years mm. so at the end of the day you need economics and margins right Danny uh, we love margins um, but we also love serving our customers so yeah so hopefully we're going to make everyone's lives more beautiful customers and margin the two-pronged approach well thanks a lot Danny that was Danny Ho executive director and chief financial officer at Sasa International Holdings Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.